Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series of messages on the book of Zechariah were recorded in Malaysia a number of years ago. Be sure to get a copy of Kevin's newly released commentaries on the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations, the book of Ezekiel, and the Minor Prophets. Available in paperback and ebook formats from Amazon.com and as immediate PDF downloads from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop. The fast was a fast, as I said, so what the Lord is saying to them in 819, and that's sort of the key on that, 819, he says, uh, so thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, the fast of the fifth, the uh, seventh, fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah, joy and gladness and cheerful feast. So in other words, you don't have to fast on these days, it's all over, it's in the past, it was during the 70 years, though it was a fast, uh, I'm going to turn it into joyful feasts. And uh, you'll notice that I've put here, the only feast that's particularly mentioned in, um, in Zechariah is that they were to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. That's a whole session in itself which we're not going to be able to cover, but that's the only feast particularly. So the fast becomes the feast. Now, I want to draw your attention and just give you a brief outline here because I do need to keep moving on. Uh, go back to chapter 7 and verse 7, and you'll notice we've, uh, we've, we've, we've referred to this before. It's mentioned about three times, the former prophets. So should you not hear the words which the Lord had cried by the former prophets, uh, when Jerusalem was inhabited in prosperity and the cities thereof uh, round about when men inhabited the south and the plain, then in verse 12, uh, he says, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, let me go there. Yes, they made their hearts like flint, refusing to hear the Lord and the words which the Lord of hosts uh, had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. The former prophets. Now, okay, the former prophets, as we looked at yesterday on the board, there were the pre-exilic prophets, the exilic prophets, the post-exilic prophets. So one of the former prophets, who's the greatest of the former prophets that dealt with a whole chapter on a true fast. Isaiah. So put that down. Isaiah 58. And in these chapters, Isaiah chapter 58, he's one of the former prophets that told about the um, coming Babylonian captivity. And then when you go back to him, uh, the Lord is saying through Jeremiah, I need to just condense this uh, uh, briefly here, is that, you know, is this the fast that I've, I've chosen? You know, he said, this is the fast I've chosen to undo the heavy burdens, the minister of the poor, and so forth, and humble yourself before God. So Isaiah 58 is the classic chapter in the total Bible on true fasting. Also put down, uh, yeah, put down Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 6, verse 16 to 18, where Jesus has to do it. So Matthew 6, verse 16 to 18, he has to deal with the hypocrisy of the Pharisees, and he tells the disciples, Matthew 6, verse 16 to 18, when you fast, don't be like the Pharisees, don't go around with a sour face, but anoint yourself with oil, uh, have a good smile on your face, and uh, go into your secret chamber, pray and seek the Lord. And the Father who sees you in secret, he will reward you openly. So Jesus deals with the whole hypocritical fasting. Um, I'll tell you what we used to do, my wife and I, many, many years ago when we were younger. Uh, you know what a real biblical fast is? The most common biblical fast is three days and three nights without food or water. Now, we used to do that when we were younger. It was a killer. 
but it was meant to be because of three, three day and three night fast without food and water is a Calvary fast. Because Jesus fasted three days and three nights in his death without food and water. So three days and three nights fast uh, without food and water, but don't do it if you're not healthy, uh, identifies you with the cross. It kills the old flesh. And I know when I was younger, before when we started the fast, I used to clean my teeth so many times and suck all the water out of my toothbrush I could so I could survive. <laughs> Just to let you know I'm a human being. You know? <laughs> I mean, think, holy Joe, holy Kevin, yes. Very human too. Okay. Uh, okay, now put down uh, these two passages out of chapter 7, out of chapter 8. Uh, he gives us six things that really constitute the, the true fast. And it's sort of a bit like Isaiah said. Zechariah chapter 7, Zechariah 7, verse 8 to 10. And chapter Zechariah 8, verses 16 and 17. So I'll say those. So woven in between all this business and talk about fasting, he gives us uh, six things that he says, this is what the Lord really wants you to do. And uh, not all your fast. You can go without food and so forth. So Zechariah 7, verse 8 to 10, and Zechariah verse 16 to 17. I'm just going to spell them out in an outline form, but they're there without taking time. Number one, he says, execute true judgment. Uh, it's seven, actually. It says, execute true judgment or true justice. Then number two, he says, show mercy and compassion to your brothers. So, number one, execute true judgment, true justice. Number two, show mercy and compassion to your brothers. Then number three, oppress not the widow, nor the fatherless, nor the stranger, nor the poor. Very strong on that. So, oppress not the widow, the fatherless, the stranger, or the poor. So woven throughout this exhortation, don't need to have fast now, those 70 years are over. But this is what God really wants you to do. So oppress not the widow, the fatherless, the stranger, or the poor. Number four. So uh, number one, execute true, true judgment. Number two, show mercy and compassion. Uh, number three, oppress not the widow, fatherless, stranger, or the poor. Number four, don't imagine evil against your brother in your heart. And that's said two times in those passages. So don't imagine evil, you know, how you're going to get against him and get to work or uh, something. So don't imagine evil against your brother in your heart. Mention uh, twice. Number five, the next uh, thing he says is speak the truth to your neighbor. So speak the truth, stop telling lies. Be honest with each other. So speak the truth to your neighbor. Number five. Speak the truth to your neighbor. Number six. Three words here. He's, he says, execute justice, truth, and peace. And peace in the gates. So execute justice, truth, and peace in the gates. When you're dealing with a situation, dealing with cases, court cases, dealing with cases in the gates, execute justice, truth, and peace in the gates. No taking of bribes and all that type of thing. And then uh, finally, number seven, do not uh, use any false oath. 
And number seven, do not use any false oaths. So let me say those quickly here. So number one, execute true just judgment. Number two, show mercy and compassion to uh, each other. Number three, don't oppress the widow, the fatherless, the stranger, or the poor. <coughs> number four, don't imagine evil against your brother in your heart. And number five, speak the truth to your neighbor, speak the truth to one another, be honest with each other. Number six, execute justice, truth, and peace. And then number seven, uh, no fa false oath uh, to be uh, amongst you. All right, so no, no, no longer the fast, but feasting and uh, cheerful feast before the Lord. But the real thing is um, just to be honest and do those things. All right, now, so that's page 13. Now, what I want to do in this one here, so uh, we've covered page 7 and 8, which are the didactic Lord, the Word of the Lord, Word of the Lord, four sermons that we have here. What I want to do in this session here uh, is uh, I'm going to just spend this session and have you fill in uh, New Testament scriptures along what you've got. Let me go over to this section here. I'm conscious we're sort of coming into land soon. Go over to page um, page uh, page fifteen page fifteen, and so how I want to handle chapters nine through uh, fourteen in this way because in these chapters we have the most messianic prophecy. So uh, you go to page fourteen down the bottom of your notes there, number seven. Uh, messianic predictions and prophecies. There are more messianic predictions in Zechariah than all the other major or minor prophets except Isaiah 53 and the messianic prophecies in the Psalms. So just to let you know where I want to go, I want to spend just this session uh, on a lot of what you've got in your notes there on messianic predictions. Then uh, later on I, I want to look, it's, it's going to be the most controversial parts of our seminar together, so uh, don't shoot me down, just listen. And uh, if you disagree with me, disagree agreeably. I want to deal with the, the Israeli problem of what about the Jew, what about Israel. Now I want to look at uh, the issue, what about Jerusalem, what about praying for the peace of Jerusalem. So we're just sort of going to do uh, those three major themes after this one here. So just sort of give you a direction. They'll be the most controversial, but at my time of life, it doesn't matter. <laughs> when you're younger, the law of self-preservation is pretty strong in you, and I'd fight a good fight of faith. But, but um, you yeah, know, I'm not throwing out so, uh, bless the Lord. Okay, so go over to page 16, and uh, on the on the uh, on the blank side there, I want to give some introductory thoughts here that I hope will help, and then. Uh, uh, we're going to work through here, uh, these things here. All right, now, this is what I want to talk about first. All right, now, on, on, on your blank page there, see if you can take down some notes. Let me get uh, rid of some things here. Now, as, as we look, uh, we're, we're particularly going to look at these messianic prophecies here. So, uh, and the, the life of Christ that's set forth, and I'll put about 14 major prophecies, and most of them in, uh, in Zechariah, which is amazing, as I said. Uh, Zechariah has more messianic prophecies than uh, all the prophets except Isaiah and except what's in the Psalms. Now, this is what I've found. Um, in the Old Testament, you might like to make a note on a couple of these things anyway. Uh, there are over 300 prophecies 
concerning Christ's first coming, scattered throughout the 39 books of the Old Testament. So over 300 prophecies in the Old Testament concerning Christ's first coming. There are prophecies of the second coming, but uh, we're looking at the first. So in the Old Testament, some 300 prophecies concerning Christ's first coming. And they're scattered throughout the 39 books of the Old Testament. Right, I'd, like you to, I'd, like to, I'd like you to get hold of that. So over 300 prophecies concerning Christ's first coming, scattered throughout the 39 books of the Old Testament. We're looking at the second last book here. Now, next thing I want you to pick up here, tell me if I'm going too fast on this. Everybody okay? Yes. Just write both hands. What you'll find as I've gone through these prophecies over the years, and other expositors too, is that most of these prophecies are unchronological. That's the tough thing. They're unchronological. And so, you know, you find uh, prophecies like this. I mean, one prophet says, uh, out of Egypt have I called my son. Okay. All right, so Christ is going to come out of Egypt. And then another prophet says, uh, says uh, he's going to come out of uh, Jordan, of Galilee, of the Gentiles. You know? How can he come out of Egypt? How can he come out of the Galilee? Okay, then another one says uh, he would be born in Bethlehem. Now, how can I reconcile this? He's going to come out of Bethlehem, he's going to come out of Egypt, he's going to come out of Galilee. Where is he coming from? And then another one said he'll be called a Nazarene. Not a Nazarite, Nazarene. Okay, now, how do I figure this? And, uh, uh, you know, you've got all these different prophecies that seem to be all over the place, just all unchronological. Now, in Christ's time, according to history, we're told what the scribes, or the, uh, the scribes, yeah, not the Pharisees, the scribes, who were the uh, theologians and hermeneticians, what they tried to do, they got all what they felt were messianic prophecies, and they tried to arrange them in some chronological order. Well, the problem is, this is what some of the, of the uh, rabbis, uh, uh, they, they thought, they ended up with this thing. There must be two messiahs. There must be a, a suffering messiah, and there must be a reigning or a, a, a victorious messiah. So they ended up, some of them, with two messiahs. There's a suffering messiah who's going to come first, and then there's going to be a victorious messiah uh, he's going to come next and he's going to get rid of the Romans and going to exalt the Jews as the head of the nation. So all this confusion. Now, so, um, so they couldn't re reconcile the apparently contradictory prophecies uh, and thought there must be two comings or two messiahs. All right, now, let's go over the New Testament a little bit. We are in the same position today because we've got prophecies concerning Christ's second coming and just as they in the Old Testament had prophecies of Christ's first coming, and they were so unchronological they couldn't sort of sort it all out, we're the same. We've got prophecies about Christ is going to come in the clouds, and then another prophecy says he's going to come in glory, then another one says he's going to come as a thief in the night, another one says he's going to come with a trumpet, so a pretty noisy thief. Here I'm coming as a thief in the night. I mean, how do you reconcile all that? Another one says he's going to come on a white horse. Another one comes, he's going to come as a shout. I mean, how is Jesus coming? We found out about that this morning. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so we are in the same problem and position today as the Jews were about all the prophecies of the first coming. And so what we try to do, and you see, most of the people who are sane, sober, and sensible like myself and us here, yeah. is we all believe in the second coming of Christ. There's no problem on that. 
but the order of events, the chronology of the second coming. Is there a rapture, a secret rapture? Does he come mid-tribulation, post-tribulation, <laughs> after the tribulation? Or does he even have a tribulation? Uh, your arm mill, uh, pan mill, windmill, uh, <laughs> go around in circles, whichever way the wind's going. Uh, you're laughing with me, not at me. Okay? <laughs> That's uh, half a windmill, you know. <laughs> Help me speak of my Lord, yeah. So, but how many get the point? So what we are trying to do, so all the different schools of our mill, windmill, pan mill, post mill, tree mill, and so forth, and mill mill, dill mill, um, we're just trying to arrange all these unchronological prophecies of the second coming in some chronological order. So seven years tribulation, 107 years tribulation, three and a half, rapture, rupture the rapture. Um, <laughs> so we're in the same boat. So what I've done in the book of Revelation, a little bit here, we'll just try to arrange a little bit in chronological order. But how many are glad that Jesus is going to come according to his chronology? That's it, regardless. So that's why I'm so relaxed on these things and don't get up tight and fight the good fight of the Lord. You might have people disagree with me. Right, so, so, okay, now, here's the next thing I want you to pick up. What was God's answer to this? I'll say this statement here, I'd like you to take it down, and then I've just got to keep moving. Okay, all right, I'll read my statement first and then give you time to take it down. Christ, in his first coming, arranged in chronological order, by historical fulfillment, all the unchronological prophecies of the Old Testament. Okay, that's a good statement, isn't it? Don't you think it's a good I mean, you didn't understand it, but I mean, it's a good statement. All right, so I'd like you to get that because of what we want to work through here. So, it's the last day of the feast. I saw it on the last day, I get a little bit uh, loco. <laughs> so, Christ in his first coming, so Christ in his first coming, arranged in chronological order, so Christ in his first coming arranged in chronological order all the unchronological prophecies of the Old Testament concerning his first coming. Okay, so that's, that's your sense. So Christ in his first coming arranged in chronological order by historical fulfillment all the unchronological prophecies of the Old Testament concerning his first coming. That's it. So, so how do we know the order? Because when we come to the New Testament and see how Christ fulfilled the prophecies there, say, oh, wow, so Amos fits here, Hosea fits here, Isaiah fits here, Psalm fits there. You can't find that in the Old Testament. But Jesus, by historical fulfillment. So let me say that again. So Christ in his first coming arranged in chronological order by historical fulfillment all the unchronological prophecies in the Old Testament concerning his first coming. Everybody got that? Yes. Everybody? No, I only got one here. Yeah, okay, everybody got that? Yes. All right, let's say it together because it's a good sense. I think it's a very good sense. And just to encourage it, that's how I wrote it out last night. Everybody understand that? Okay. So Christ, let's all say it together. Christ in his first coming arranged in chronological order by historical fulfillment all the unchronological prophecies in the Old Testament 
can do is just put a ditto, ditto, because when Jesus comes a second time, he's going to arrange in chronological order by historical fulfillment all the unchronological prophecies concerning his second coming. So just as he did on the first, so when Jesus comes a second time, you know, Schofield, Connor, Larkin, Lamb, Lyon, all the different escalators left behind, uh, half left behind, half up, half down, secret rapture, no rapture, rupturing the rapture. Oh, we'll all look at each other and say, oh, this is how it worked out. Jesus was right after all. <laughs> and we'll leave all our books to the Antichrist, so you can burn all our books. Not my book of the Revelation, okay? <laughs> that was too much work. Right. But how many, how many get the point? See, so that's really important to keep in mind. All right, now, let's go over to... Okay. So, Zacharias, we've got here, is one of the prophets that gives a number of messianic prophecies. Most of them are out of chronological order. So, uh, when we go to the historical fulfillment in the Gospels, then these unchronological prophecies are arranged in chronological order by historical fulfillment. Okay. So, um, yeah, now let's turn over to a couple of scriptures here, and then we're going to look at page uh, 16. Everybody doing okay? Yes. All right, thank you again for that underwhelming response. I right, turn to Matthew chapter 5. Now, this is not on your notes, so just uh, some additional material here. Uh, I thought this would be the best way to handle, handle this. Okay, Matthew chapter 5. And verses 17 to 18. And it says, uh, yes, do not think, Matthew 5, verse 17 and 18, do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but fulfill. For assuredly I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. So, Law and the prophets, Christ did not come to destroy, he came to fulfill. Why don't you put uh, down uh, this little expression here. I went through Matthew's Gospel in my uh, study last night. This expression that it might be fulfilled is used at least 14 times in the Gospel of Matthew. So think not that I'm come to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Bring to fulfillment and uh, for, uh, bring to fulfillment. Uh, by yeah, historical fulfillment. So I won't give you all these references. So the expression in Matthew is that it might be fulfilled. So I've got the list here that says, a virgin shall conceive, bear a son, that it might be fulfilled. And then uh, Matthew, out of Egypt have I called my son, that it might be fulfilled. Rachel weeping for her children, that it might be fulfilled. Uh, himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses that it might be fulfilled. So one of the key expressions in the Gospel of Matthew is that it might be fulfilled. It's used 14, at least 14 times. Okay, now let's turn over to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11. Matthew 11. And uh, we'll pick up in verse... Uh, 13, Matthew 11 and verse 13. And uh, here it says, All the prophets and the law prophesied till John. Once you pick that up, not only did the prophets prophesy, but all the law and the, all the prophets 
and the law prophesied. The prophets prophesied, naturally, because they wouldn't be prophets, but the law also prophesied. Okay, so the law and the, the prophets and the law prophesied. And then uh, one other scripture I'd like to link up with that. Turn over to Luke chapter 20, 24. Luke 24. So Luke 24, and uh, we remember this of Jesus being, uh, or the two disciples on the road to uh, Emmaus, and then Jesus himself draws near with them, to them. And uh, maybe I'll just repeat this for those who may not have uh, uh, had this before. You'll notice in verse uh, 15, these two disciples, they're talking together, and while they commune together in reason, Jesus himself went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. So though he's walking with them, talking with them, he asked them why they're so sad, and they told him about what had happened in the last uh, several days. And in verse 25, then he said to them, O foolish ones, and so hard to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, and we're particularly looking at uh, Daniel and Zechariah's prophets, ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and then entered into his glory? Both Daniel and Zechariah, along with the other prophets, they always... Uh, have some uh, uh, areas where they speak of the suffering of Christ, Messiah will be cut off, sufferings of Christ, and, uh, and, and then his glory, glory of his kingdom. And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded, from which we get the uh, Greek word hermeneuo, he expounded, interpreted, and explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And for those who haven't had this, the next uh, part here, we see the key word, from now on is this word open, and I've already marked my Bible, and I know most of you have on this, but for those who haven't, uh, verse 30, it came to pass as he sat uh, at the table with them, and he took, then he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them, and then number one, their eyes were open. So the opening of the eyes, so their eyes were uh, restrained in verse 16, but now verse 20 and 31, their eyes were open. So number one, opening of the eyes, and they knew when he vanished at the side. Then number two in verse 32, they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened to us the scriptures? So the three, the three openings here, opened eyes. Uh, number two, opening the scriptures. Because, you know, if the Lord doesn't open our eyes, we just don't see it. We don't get it. So say, so Lord, open my eyes. Then he opened the scriptures. And as we've said before, the scriptures are like a sealed book unless the Lamb breaks the seals and opens the scriptures to us. And then the key to the whole thing is the third use of the word open. And this is found in verse uh, 44 and 45. And he said to them, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me, and then we have the third use of the word open. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the scriptures. So 
If you haven't picked that up before, I have mentioned on previous occasions, the three openings, number one, opening of the eyes, number two, the opening of the scriptures, and number three, the opening of their understanding. So how many feel the Lord's opened your understanding a bit more yes. you know, over this week? You know, because we can open the scriptures, the Lord open our eyes, but I always pray as I'm teaching, Lord, just open our understanding, open my understanding, open people's understanding, that you can understand the scriptures, because scriptures can be open to you, and some people say, oh, I haven't got a clue, I don't know what he's talking about. It's because there's not that opening. And say, Lord, pray that prayer. Open our eyes, open the scriptures, open our understanding. How many can say amen? amen. All right, now, in verse 44, and I'm going to put it in the order I, I, we've got our Bible. Jesus breaks the Old Testament up into uh, threefold division here. And I'm putting it in uh, the order our Bible is arranged. Uh, so number one, he says, all things that are written in the law must be fulfilled. So the moment we think of the law, we think of Moses and the law, the five books of the Pentateuch. And then number two in our Bible, uh, the law, the Psalms. And our Bible is arranged this way. So the uh, law, the Psalms, and number two, the Psalms. And we think of the uh, Messianic Psalms and particularly Psalms of David along with uh, others. So Moses who wrote about Melchizedek. In Genesis, David, who wrote a psalm on Melchizedek. So just this link up, the Messianic prophets to there. And then number three, the, prophet, the, the prophets. So the law, the psalms, and the prophets, just as in our Bible. I think in the Hebrew Bible, it's a little bit different here, but the prophets. And we've been particularly looking at Daniel, and uh, now Zechariah, more particularly. So the law, the psalms, and the prophets. So when Jesus died on the cross, <coughs> As I said, you know, God doesn't forget anything. We do, you know, our little feeble minds here. But God's got all this thing. This, the, the whole Bible, 39 books of the Old Testament, jigsaw puzzles. So when Jesus died on the cross, there were about, uh, uh, how many hundred prophecies, but numerous prophecies that had to be fulfilled in the life of Christ and be arranged in chronological order and be fulfilled. And most of them in the last few hours when Jesus hung on the cross. So let's just pick out an example. I mean, here Jesus is hanging on the cross, and uh, beside him he's got two thieves, and Jesus is in the midst. And so when the time comes uh, that they, um, they, they want to hasten the death so the Jews could keep their feast of Passover, just the whole hypocrisy of the thing, well, we don't want bodies on the cross, we've got to keep our blessed feast of Passover, you know, the whole hypocrisy of it, the real Passover is hanging on the cross here. So the soldiers uh, take a spear and they, uh, or they break the legs of the two thieves and they're about to break the legs of the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, but he was already dead. So uh, uh, what happened? It's like this, like God said, look, back under Moses, under the Feast of Passover, uh, under the law, Exodus chapter 12, God said in one of many of the commandments that not a bone of the Lamb was to be broken. And you see, custom was there when there were disobedient sheep or sheep that always jump at the fence, the fence uh, or get into the hole in the fence. How, how many know that sheep are dumb? You know, I used to work on a farm and they always knew where the hole in the fence was to get out. But they never could get back in through the same hole in the fence. So when God says, all oh, we like sheep have gone astray, how many know God's not giving us a compliment? <laughs> He's just telling us we're dumb. I mean, thanks a lot, Bob. Yeah. Anyway, he was not the Lamb of God. So 
Jesus was the Lamb of God, the obedient. So God said way back here, and in Zechariah, uh, and the Psalms, I mean, not a bone was to be broken. So it's just like God said, hey, listen, I'm looking after my divine seesaw puzzle here. So when they break the legs of the thieves who are disobedient, uh, sheep, and they're about to break the legs of the Lamb of God, just like God said, hey, just hold it, boys. He was not disobedient. You don't break his legs. And so uh, uh, the law had to be fulfilled. Not one jot or tittle will pass from the law to all be fulfilled. And then there was another scripture that God had in Zechariah, they'll look on me whom they pierced. Oh, so the soldier unwittingly, not unconsciously, but unknowingly, unwittingly, took a spear and pierced his side. And forth it came blood and water. So it's just God's bringing all these unchronological prophecies concerning his son together and uh, so forth. So the psalm said, not a bone was to be broken, they will count all my bones. And then now the prophecy had to be fulfilled. They, they, they uh, uh, cast lots for my garment. They didn't tear the garment, the seamless robe. That had to be fulfilled. Now the same thing is true as we go through the prophecies concerning Christ in Zechariah. That's the thing. So all those intricate details, the jots and tittles that may be boring to us, and not to God, because they all pointed to... See, God had something of Christ in mind. That's what I'm saying. So think not, I'm come to destroy the law, the prophets. Not come to destroy, I'm come to fulfill. So all these intricate details, God had it all before him. I think that's where the little baby hallelujah, don't you? I said, that's where the little baby hallelujah. Disciplined yourself. Okay, thank you. All right, now, what I want you to do is turn to page 16. I said all that to say this. As you go through the prophecies here, all I want you to do is put down the New Testament fulfillment. Now, what? Oh, before you do that, just what I want you to do. Just got to watch your beady eyes around here. Okay, on page 16, I put. Sorry to do this to you, but it is Good Friday. Okay, we've got here, note the main Messianic prophecies in Zechariah. So what I want you to do, I want you to number them 1 through to 14. So number 1, Christ the branch, number 2, number 3, so you should have 14. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6. Anyway, whatever you got there. 14? Okay, yeah, so number them 1 to 14. And what I want you to do now is just... These were unchronological prophecies in the Old Testament and see how they arranged in chronological order by historical fulfillment in the New Testament. So all I've put on the, on the, on the overhead now, not very aligned, but at least there. Okay, so uh, on the, this side you've got the New Testament fulfillment. Okay, so that's all I want you to put down, just these bunch of scriptures. We're not going to turn to them or comment. So Old Testament prophecy in Zechariah. Chapter 3, verse 8, and 6, 9, and 12. We have the prophecy concerning the incarnation. Behold, my servant, the branch. Okay, so the branch. Behold the man whose name is the branch. Pilate gets up in John 19 and says, Behold the man. So the man whose name is the branch. All right, number 2 here. Chapter 3 of Zechariah again. Behold uh, the servant. The man whose name is the branch, the servant, my servant, the branch. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 18, fulfillment, my servant, mine elect. He will not lift up his voice or cry, but uh, the servant, 
Matthew 12, 18. And there's other cross-references. I'm just giving you an example how God just miraculously, sovereignly, all these Old Testament prophecies in unchronological order arranged uh, in order by chronological fulfillment in the New Testament. Okay, number three, his entry to Jerusalem upon the colt, the fall of an ass, and all of that was uh, miraculous, Matthew 21, 5, because you see, uh, as Jesus went in there, and much could be said on each of these points, as he goes in there riding on the, uh, the donkey and the colt, you know, had never been ridden on by man. So it didn't buck Jesus off. You know, he subdued that donkey nature. And you know, here's an amazing thing, some of the fanatical studies I've done. Uh, did you know in the Old Testament that the, the law concerning a donkey, an uh, ass or donkey is a better word these days, uh, is that the, the, a donkey had to be redeemed with a lamb. And if the donkey was not redeemed by a lamb, then the donkey had to have its neck broken. Wow, that's a good picture. So here Jesus, the Lamb of God, is riding the donkey, unbroken, untamed, subduing it. So you and I are also like the donkeys. Sorry about that. Stubborn, mulish, <laughs> not here. But unless Jesus redeems us, we get our neck broken. So how many donkeys are glad to be redeemed by the Lamb? Uh, let us pray. <laughs> You're slow this morning. Okay. Alright, so, uh, yeah. So, number four, fourth prophecy here, 916. He would be the good shepherd, 916, 11, 11, and, and he would care for the flock. So, I've just put John 10 there, how he cares for the flock. There will be one fold, one flock, and he's the good shepherd that gives his life for the sheep. Number five, prophecy in Zechariah chapter 13. And verse 7, he would be the smitten shepherd, smite the shepherd, and scatter the sheep. Matthew 27, Jesus takes it up, and then will be brought to pass and be fulfilled. Smite the shepherd, scatter the sheep. So Jesus the good shepherd, the flock there, the little flock, fear not little flock, with the 12 disciples of the 11. Uh, one drop out there. Uh, Judas failed in his exam voluntarily. Uh, so uh, fulfilled there. Number 6. Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 12 and 13, Jesus would be betrayed by, for, by Judas for 30 pieces of silver. And so in Matthew chapter 27, verse 3 to 10, we see the fulfillment. And there were a lot of, uh, uh, of clauses in there that the, uh, it would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. And then eventually they would come back and cast the silver to the house of the Lord in the temple. And they would buy the potter's field. So when you go to the fulfillment, Judas fulfills his prophecy. He sells Jesus out. Uh, 30 pieces of silver for money he never lived to spend. And then when he came back and threw the money in the temple, then they took the money and bought the potter's field. And uh, significance history tells us that the potter's field was the, uh, where all the broken vessels and irreparable vessels of the potter were cast when they were beyond repair. So Judas ended up in the potter's field. Jesus, the master potter, and Judas goes beyond repair. Wow, tremendous, tremendous picture there. All right, number seven, uh, his hands were pierced, and they will look on him whom they pierced. So soldier took his spear. So unwittingly, they're fulfilling these prophecies in the sovereignty of God. Yet they're doing it. So it's of man, of human responsibility, and yet divine sovereignty blending together here. 
Alright, so uh, number seven, they look on him, him they pierced, they pierced his side. Forthward came blood and water. Chapter 13, verse 1 says, There would be a fountain open to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And so we sing the good old song. We used to, there is a fountain filled with blood. It's the same truth here. They pierced his side. And forthward came blood and water. And there was something miraculous about it because John goes on, you know, that he that saw it and bear record is true. So, you know, a dead man, blood congeals, water flowing from his side. Uh, some of the doctors say uh, broken heart, but that was a miraculous thing. And so, so miraculous is that John takes it up and says, this is he that came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and blood. And here at the cross, fulfilling all this back under the tabernacle of Moses, the, the, the first two articles of furniture in the way of approach to God was the brazen altar, blood, and the brazen labor, water, blood and water. So when they pierce his side forth, we come blood and water. So blood is for sin, water is for self. So fulfilling that. So no longer animal blood, no longer ceremonial washing water, but the blood of Jesus uh, and washing of water by the way. How many, how many believe the blood of Jesus covers all our sins? Hands up. How many don't believe that? How many are not going to let me catch your hands up? Okay, no, the blood of Jesus does not cover our sin. The blood of Jesus cleanses from sin. Animal blood never cleanses from sin. Animal blood covers sin. But the blood of Jesus, we confess our sins, is faithful and just to cleanse us. So the blood of Jesus does not cover our sin. It cleanses us. Everybody said hallelujah. Animal blood could not cleanse what Paul says, blood of animals could not cleanse, but the blood of Jesus does. So animal blood covered sin until the blood of Jesus came and was shed, cleansing of sin. Okay, number, uh, number nine we're up to, he was wounded in the house of his friends. And so Jesus takes this up and speaks about the blood of the covenant. Then number ten, uh, where he's to be a king, priest, the order of Melchizedek, we looked at that this morning. Joshua, not only priest, but a king priest. The man whose name is the branch. So Hebrews 7, 1 to 2. Order Melchizedek, king of Salem. Priest of the Most High God, king priest. Number 11 here, chapter 10, verse 1 in Zechariah. That uh, ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. He'll make a bright cloud. James chapter 5 says, The husbandman is waiting for the fruit of the earth until he received the early and the latter rain, referring to the outpouring of the Spirit. Number 12 here, uh, He will build the temple of the Lord. Even He will build the temple and bear the glory. And those that are far off, Gentiles will come in the, uh, and build in the temple. Ephesians 2, we've read that. You were far off, you were nigh, built together as a holy temple for the Lord. Christ the chief cornerstone, number 13, chapter 2 of Zechariah, verse 10 to 12. Uh, he's, um, chapter 13, sorry. Yes, the coming into the Gentiles, many nations will be joined to the Lord in that day. And the Gentiles, and Jesus said, he will be an uh, ensign to the Gentiles. Uh, that's coming into the Gentiles there. And then number 14, finally, is that in chapter 14, we're told that he will... In that day, his feet will stand upon the Mount of Olives. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends from the Mount of Olives. And the two witnesses said, This same Jesus will so come in like manner 
he uh, ascended from the Mount of Olives, he will come back the second time to the Mount of Olives, and he will be king over all the earth, king of kings and lord of lords. Okay, now last thing I want to do here is this. Down the bottom of uh, page 16 and then page 17 here, Notice how Messiah's two advents are seen in Zechariah. The first advent, his entry into Jerusalem on the colt, the 30 pieces of silver in his crucifixion, the blood of the covenant, wounded in the house of his friends, becomes uh, the, the man whose name is the branch and the smitten uh, shepherd. He ascends from the Mount of Olives, all speaking of his first coming, his rejection and humiliation. In page uh, 17, second advent, he's coming as king with all saints, to reign over all the earth, his name is one, descends to the Mount of Olives, conqueror of all kings and nations, his exaltation, glorification in the church. So if we put it here together, we wrap up this uh, session here, this is what you've got. You've got uh, all those prophecies in Zechariah alone, let alone all of that, his first coming, the first three and a half years of Christ's ministry, and the many prophecies that were arranged in chronological order by historical fulfillment, but leaping way over the church era and the gathering out of the Gentiles and people of his name, way down to the second coming, uh, three and a half years from Daniel here, and then uh, Zechariah chapter 14, where Jesus comes as uh, king over all the earth. So he's reaching from first coming and uh, right down to second coming. So, uh, Tremendous, just the awesomeness of God's word, God's divine jigsaw puzzle. Everybody said hallelujah. All right, 10 minutes break. We hope you've enjoyed today's teaching. Visit kevinconnor.org for more information.